0: This week on Iowa, we're featuring Dickinson County. A girl's whole family is murdered in front of her, and she's taken hostage. Di-o-a.
1: Welcome to Iowa, the first Iowa-focused true crime podcast where there's 99 counties and a murder in every one. These are your hosts, Beth Lavalley and Allie Tulin.
2: All right, Dickinson County, I think we can both say that we've finally spent some time here, right?
0: Yes, because every single Iowan has been to Okoboji. So true. <gasps> yeah, I've actually been there, honestly, not a lot, but I was there just a couple of years ago because my, my dad, Joe Laval feature, featured guest on this podcast, Iowa. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was also inducted into the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they have a big celebration there when they do that.
2: Joe Valley, man of mystery. Like, what hasn't he done?
0: I know. True Renaissance man.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Okaboji is great. I think my mom's side of the family would go there like every summer and just hang out for a week. Or I feel like also a lot of bachelorette parties happen in Okaboji. Always mm-hmm. a good time. But Mm -hmm. definitely recommend.
0: Agreed. So some other things you should know about Dickinson County. It was named after Daniel S. Dickinson, who was a New York senator. Fun fact. (laughs) Dickinson County is also home to the historic amusement park named Arnold's Park, which features a roller coaster named Legend, which is very accurately named. (laughs) It first held riders in 1927 And it's believed to be the 13th oldest wooden roller coaster in the United States. And more fun facts. You know about this cool store called Three Sons? I want you to explain that.
2: Oh yeah, the Three Sons. It's just the best store ever. I don't know, they have everything. And it's run by Three Sons. (laughs) So also also... accurately named. (laughs)
0: Yes.
2: I think they're the ones who started, like, the University of Okaboji, which is something you see all over Iowa. You see all those shirts where it's, like, University of Okaboji, but there is no University of
0: Okaboji, just the merch and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's the classic Barefoot Bar, also home to a lot of bachelorette parties. I just remember... Of course. I had a friend in, like, the sixth grade that had a sweatshirt from the Barefoot Bar, and I just thought it was the coolest thing in the whole world. Like so. So
2: biggest takeaway is go get clothes in Okaboji. <laughs>
0: yeah. My whole closet actually is just Okaboji merch. <laughs> yes.
2: Well <laughs> okay, before, On a more serious note. <laughs> yes. Well, before we get into this story, we do want to warn listeners that this took place in 1857 and definitely deals with some sensitive topics. We are talking about a band of the Sioux tribe and American settlers in the area. And during our research, we read the history of the Spirit Lake Massacre and captivity of Miss Abby Gardner. And because of the time period and the tension between the groups during the time and what actually happened in this story, our sources, including Abby's personal recollection of events that took place, painted the Sioux in a negative light.
0: Yeah, and I'm about to dive into some history and some facts, but before I do that... We just want to acknowledge that there are many terms up for debate when referring to indigenous people in America, and we didn't interview anyone for this story, unfortunately, which means we're relying on our internet research, um, a dangerous thing to do, to use the most respectable terminology that we can find. So, we will be referring to the Nakota, Dakota, and Lakota nations, mostly as Sioux as a whole, because we are sometimes not aware which specific nation was a part of the story. So, we apologize in advance. If we're wrong, please correct us. Um, we We would love to be learners in this situation. Okay, so some background, history, and facts. It is 1857, which is a long time ago. Iowa is only... 11 years old at this time. It's only a few years before the Civil War. In 1857, James Buchanan is president. you Remember that guy? <laughs> the one prior <laughs> to Lincoln. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and just a really fun fact here. Alicia. Is that how you say that? Would, Alicia Otis. Yeah, that sounds right. Installed the first elevator in New York. So iowa and new york on on really different playing fields here
2: also an important historical note in the 1800s the dakota nation signed treaties with the united states ceding much of their land in minnesota and failure of the united states to make treaty payments on time as well as not providing enough food supplies led to the dakota war of 1862 this is only five years after our story takes place So our story is about the Gardner family, and specifically from the point of view of their youngest daughter, Abby. The family was originally from the state of New York, but Abby's father had dreams of going and making it out west. So the Gardner's first property, as they moved west in Iowa, was at a settlement next to Clear Lake in Cerro Gordo County, and there they already had run-ins with the Sioux peoples. In one incident, a few Sioux had killed and paraded the head of a young man from the Winnebago tribe. The Winnebago were another Native American tribe in the area, but were known to the settlers at the time to be more peaceful. Another incident involved a Sioux man killing one of the settlers' chickens, which reportedly forced the settlers to confront the Sioux. This was referred to as the Grindstone War. It ended peacefully with the Sioux chief smoking a peace pipe with all the settlers who came to confront the tribe, but most settlers still felt anxious after the events, thinking that the Sioux would eventually attack. So like other families, the Gardeners decided not to settle in Clear Lake and kept moving west.
0: So it definitely sounds like the Gardner family already had some anxieties about Native people in the area. Correct.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes here, and I wonder if I would have kept going west, knowing, you know, that you're definitely becoming more and more isolated. And also, when encountering the native peoples in the area, I'm sure there was a huge language barrier, and I can't imagine trying to figure out how to communicate yeah, that would with be... your new neighbors.
0: Yeah, incredibly difficult. Yeah. So the family keeps moving until they get to Okaboji. Okaboji meant a place of rest. It was, and maybe still is, considered one of the most beautiful lakes in the United States. Uh, Abby even compares it to the lakes found in Switzerland. Supposedly, at the time, you could see as far down as 50 feet. That's how clear the water was. It probably still isn't that clear now? (laughs) I don't know, it is pretty clear. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, But
2: but no, yeah, probably was is better.
0: (laughs) Uh, Spirit Lake, which connects to Okabogee, was called Minewakan, meaning spirit water. It was said that no Dakota ever crossed the water in his canoe because they believed it was haunted by spirits. Abby mentions that other families came and settled in their area, and eventually they formed a small community. However, it was still far from any big town. The family depended on provisions from Fort Dodge, which was over 80 miles away.
2: I cannot imagine traveling 80 miles for most of your groceries.
0: Yeah, I don't even like walking like 10 blocks. (laughs) No thanks. Uh, Also in the area is a Dakota man known as Ink Paduda. He was said to be around 50 to 60 years old. He was six feet tall and very strongly built, and he was badly scarred from the smallpox he had contracted as a kid. This is a quote from Abby on Ink Paduda. Inkpaduta will ever be remembered as a savage monster in human shape, fitted only for the darkest corner in Hades. Oof. (laughs) Abby reports in her book that tensions with the band of Dakota warriors led by Inkpaduta escalated when they were elk hunting in a nearby area, and the settlers interrupted the chase. Also, a member of this band is said to have been bitten by a dog, and then he just killed it afterwards.
2: Ink Paduda does not sound like a friendly man to run into.
0: <laughs> yeah, I maybe avoid him in the community.
2: Yeah. Well, here are the details of the massacre as recalled by Abby. On March 7th, 1857, a Dakota man of the Sioux people entered the gardeners while they were eating breakfast. He seemed friendly and was offered a spot at the table. However, eventually more and more followed until Ink Paduda and his 14 warriors, along with their wives and children, were all in the house. At first, everything was fine, but then the warriors became demanding and were after Mr. Gardner's ammunition. When the Sioux eventually left, two other male settlers who were with the Gardners were sent to warn others nearby. However, later that day, around 2 p.m., Mr. Gardner saw nine warriors approaching and told the others, quote, nine Indians are coming, now only a short distance from the house, and we are all doomed to
0: die. Okay, so not the most encouraging words. Not at all.
2: So the family barricaded the door and decided to fight, but Abby recalls her mother protesting fighting back. She said, quote, if we have to die, let us die innocent
0: of shedding blood. When the Sioux approached, they demanded more flour from the family. When Mr. Gardner refused, they shot him through the heart. He died instantly. Mrs. Gardner and Abby's older sister were beaten with the guns and dragged out the front door. Abby said they were killed in a most cruel and shocking manner.
2: During this, Abby was seated in a chair and holding her sister's baby. Her sister's little boy and Abby's youngest brother were on each side of her, clinging in terror. The little boys were eventually taken and beaten to death with sticks and stove wood.
0: Mm. So Abby was taken captive, and as she passed a neighbor's house, she saw 11 bodies in the house ablaze. One of the neighbor's heads was chopped off above his mouth and ears. The day's total slaughter count was 20 people. That night, she witnessed the Sioux paint their faces black, which was a sign they were at war. The next day, the four remaining families in the area were attacked. Three other women were brought as captives. Abby said they were each taken to a separate lodge, were told to braid their hair, and paint their faces. Abby, in captivity, wrote, A male Indian never does anything that can be called labor. It is against his principles and would lower his dignity. Work is only fit for women. Such is an Indian's sense of honor. The women are only slaves, and we, poor captives, were the slaves of the slaves.
2: Abby and the other three captives, Mrs. Thatcher, Mrs. Marble, and Mrs. Noble, traveled north with the Sioux to a land known as Big Sioux at the time, now known as Flandreau, Minnesota. Unfortunately, Abby was the only one to survive the whole winter journey. One of the women, Mrs. Thatcher, had just given birth to a baby before the massacre— A young Sioux decided to push her from a bridge that they were crossing into the ice-cold water below. She grabbed onto the root of a tree, but it was said that the older Sioux threw clubs at her and shoved her back into the fast-moving river. Then they shot her. It was said that she was only 19.
0: Not long after Mrs. Thatcher's death, another captive, Mrs. Marble, was purchased by another group of Sioux. When Mrs. Marble said goodbye to Abby, she told her she believed they were taking her to troops and that she would do everything in her power to rescue Abby and Mrs. Noble. Abby writes in her book that she never saw Mrs. Marble again, but heard she died in an insane asylum. However, she actually remarried and moved to California, which is very similar to an insane asylum. <laughs> <laughs> so random. Two to three weeks after her capture, she was rescued from the Sioux who had purchased her from Ink These Sioux had taken Mrs. Marble back to a family who had lost a daughter and wanted to adopt her. The Sioux father eventually gave her up to the troops with a kiss and tears goodbye.
2: The last remaining captive with Abby was Mrs. Noble, who was around 20 years old. Abby said Mrs. Noble was the only captive who ever refused orders from the Sioux. One night, a man named Roaring Cloud came into their teepee where Abby and Mrs. Noble were staying, He demanded that Mrs. Noble go outside, and she refused him, so after this, he decided to drag her out of the teepee and started beating her. Abby said she could hear Mrs. Noble for an hour, but she couldn't move from her place inside in fear that she would be dealt with in the same way. The next morning, Mrs. Noble's body was being used as a shooting target for the Sioux.
0: Finally, in May, Abby was rescued, thanks to a man who was referred to as Major Flandreau. When Inkpeduda and his men reached the Yankton tribe. The price for her ransom was two horses, 12 blankets, two kegs of powder, 20 pounds of tobacco, 32 yards of blue squaw cloth, 37 and a half yards of calico and ribbon, and other small articles. Her purchasers were acting under the instruction of what they called a U.S. Indian agent, who was an individual authorized to interact with Native American tribes and First Nation band governments on behalf of the government. The Yankton chief had given Abby a Sioux feathered war cap after meeting her and said it represented one of the highest honors and was given to her for her bravery. They also said as long as she kept the cap, she would be under protection of all Dakota Sioux. On Tuesday, June 23rd, Abby traveled with her rescuers to the governor of Minnesota.
2: The people of St. Paul had contributed $500 to rescue Abby. Abby then left Minnesota and accompanied the governor to Dubuque, Iowa. She had heard her older sister, who had not been living in Okaboji with the rest of the family, was living somewhere in Iowa still and had married. This sister was her only living relation left, and in Hampton, Iowa, they were eventually
0: reunited. While Abby had been captive, a group of volunteers was sent about four weeks after the massacre to Okaboji to find and bury the dead. Abby's father, mother, brother, sister, niece, and nephew were laid side by side in one common grave. There was a mound of stones to mark the grave next to an evergreen tree on the property. The volunteers spent 19 days burying the dead, and two volunteers died because they were frozen to death on the prairie.
2: On August 16, 1857, still the same year as the massacre, Abby married a cousin of the two former captives, Mrs. Noble and Mrs. Thatcher, named Cassville Sharp. In 1859, she had a baby boy who she named Albert, who was named after her sister's baby, who was ripped from her arms during the massacre. In 1862, a second son named Alan was born, and in 1871, she had a baby girl named Minnie, who only lived 18 months.
0: On December 10, 1883, she visited the site of the massacre for a third time since then, and she saw the beauty again. Abby eventually bought the Gardner House, where her family had been massacred, in 1891. She operated it as a tourist site until her death in 1921 and sold her book, postcards, and souvenirs there. The Abbey Gardner Cabin has operated under the State Historical Society of Iowa since 1974, and it's one of the most visited historical sites in all of Iowa. Hey Tops, thanks for joining us. Hello. All right, today we're talking about Abbey Gardner in Dickinson County. Quick softball question for you. Um, Have you ever been to the Abbey Gardner cabin in Okoboji?
1: Yes. What was it like? Um, You know, it's historical and uh, kind of makes you contemplate the circumstances of a young family, you know, being up there in the wilderness with uh, indigenous people, the conflicts that arose because of that, things of that nature.
2: It is crazy. I know in the book, they said like the closest place to get provisions was Fort Dodge, which is like, I think like 80 miles away. Probably. Um, Do you know anything about the Iowans and the Native American relations at the time of like the settling of Iowa?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think that was one of the only massacres in the entire state. But obviously in the 1840s and 50s, there was a wave of white settlers that came across the state and pushed. And I think the the natives in Okoboji were Lakota, but pushed them far into South Dakota and pushed, you know, the Omaha tribe, the Potawatomi tribe. And the white settlers and the government kept breaking the treaties and moving these people further and further west. So there's a lot of tension. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. And then... Final question for you, in today's world, if you were kidnapped and held hostage, what do you recommend doing?
1: If someone was held hostage, I assume that there is some kind of demand being made by the abductors. In those cases, you attempt to lock down the areas where that person may be held, you attempt to negotiate with the abductors, and you attempt some kind of police intervention if if it's possible and it's safe. Most of the time the abductors won't contact the police they'll contact the family or whoever of the abductor abductee I should say and they tell them not to get the police involved so they want to deal with the family as much as they can they don't want to deal with the police
0: Are there specific people that are hired to like do that negotiating or It would probably
1: be the crisis negotiators attached to the SWAT team they're they're trained to to negotiate people especially when there's people's lives in danger.
2: Would you have any recommendations, though, for the person being held hostage? Like what they should do? Should they obey all requests?
0: Or they,
1: they, they should be compliant and obey requests. One tactic the FBI teaches on hostage survival is to attempt to make some kind of personal contact with your abductor. Take out family photos and start looking at them, start talking about some of your uh, family or things like that. It's much more difficult to kill someone if you know them. That's one of the reasons like terrorists will put bags over the heads of hostages. It's pretty easy to shoot a bag, pretty hard to shoot a person.
0: That's actually funny that you say that because me and my sister, when we were little, just assumed that we would get abducted all the time. So that we literally practiced our speeches on like I have five siblings and I'm the fifth out of six, oh like to try and make a connection with our murderer. It, it works. It works. Well, I'm All very the practiced on done. It.
1: <laughs> yeah. It shows that if there's some kind of connection that it will be much more difficult for the abductor to kill them. What? Always remember too, if this thing is an abduction for money or something, something like that, if they kill the victim, game's over. There's no more money. So there's a at least a tendency for these people to keep the victim alive because that's their bank account.
2: Last thought or anything, but you were you were trained as a hostage negotiator at one point, weren't you? I was. Do you have any is, stories to tell from that time or
1: well, I never really got involved in any kidnappings. Most of mine were all hostage incidents or barricaded gunmen. And most of them are barricades. Where people have barricaded because they're mad about something or they're threatening suicide or something like that. But I did have some hostage deals too.
2: Very cool. Well, Abby Gardner could have used you. There you go. All right.
0: This was a short one, but thanks again for joining.
1: Okay. See ya.
0: Bye. Oh, hello there. As a marketer, I hate promotions like this. Same and same. But I love content. Me too. So if you like our content, give us a like, follow, share, subscribe, note, facts, literally anything you think would help us continue making Diowa a success. Thank you, thank you, thank you.